0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to Oliver Wyman's Reinventing Insurance podcast. I'm your host, Paul Ricard. Today, I am delighted to welcome Taddy Hall, who is a senior partner in Lippicott's innovation practice. Welcome, Teddy. I am thrilled to be here, Paul. Thank you. So Teddy, today we're going to be talking a little bit about what it takes uh, for insurers to come up with groundbreaking insurance solutions and offerings. But before we get into this, uh, would you mind introducing yourself
1: in a few words? A few words, wow. Okay, sure. My name's Taddy Hall, and I'm a senior partner at Lippincott. I uh, largely work with uh, clients on experience innovation. So you think of experience innovation as the layer at which product innovation, service innovation, business model innovation come together to actually make a difference in customers' lives, and typically on uh, projects that are either discontinuous from their legacy businesses or involve restarting and reactivating businesses that maybe have, have, have stalled in their growth. And you worked across the world, if I'm not mistaken, right? Yeah. So, I mean, I, th- I think as you probably know, so for 25 years or more, I worked very closely with Clay Christensen at the Harvard Business School. who was a dear friend and and a mentor I miss daily. and And that led to doing a lot of work Consulting, researching, speaking all over the world, and I also work for a nonprofit organization called Endeavor that works with high impact entrepreneurs around the world. And so, between those two things, I've ended up working with companies large and small, and also uh, a number of different governments about building uh, entrepreneurial ecosystems.
0: So you do, you know a thing or two about experience innovation is basically what you're telling
1: me. I you know yes. I like to think so. I, I know I know a lot about very little. There's many things I know nothing about, but I do know something about creating growth businesses. Awesome. Well, so today uh, we'd like to talk a bit about all these themes
0: and in particular how insurers can maximize their chances to come up with truly innovative products, offerings, experiences. Maybe I would love your take first
1: on why is that even a challenge for insurers? You know, The longer that any particular business model has profitably persisted, you know, the more well-worn well the grooves become. So it's hard for insurance companies, but hey, it's hard for everybody. When it comes to dealing with something
0: entirely new, dealing with new trends, dealing with disruption, that's where it becomes, it becomes hard because I'm just not equipped internally to, uh, to address that.
1: Something gets said a lot, which I think is not true, which is that large companies are bad at innovation, that they're not any good at it. And, you know, small, nimble, agile, clever startup. Like, and that's just not true. The data and the history shows something very, very different, which is that established companies are outstanding innovators. When it comes to certain kinds of innovation, they're relentlessly effective at efficiency innovation, right? So those are innovations involving new tools, new technologies, new processes, new approaches that systematically take cost or waste or inefficiency out of the system. And they do that day in, day out. They do it very, very well. Established companies are really good at sustaining innovation. You know, it's a virtual certainty that next year's Honda Civic is going to be a little bit better than last year's Honda Civic. And you know the the way that your iPhone integrates with the audio system or the steering or the work required to change the spare tire. Like there'll be a million little things that are better. And, and so, and that's super important stuff. And, and it's stuff that every established company should be doing efficiency innovation and sustaining innovation. The challenge is that there's a third kind of innovation, what we often have referred to as, as market creating innovation. And, and that's where you open new markets, you create new businesses, uh, you change the basis of competition by introducing a new value proposition, or you introduce a new business model that can be profitable in segments or tiers of the market that were no longer profitable or attractive.
0: Is that, is that more crucial than ever to master that third type of innovation than it was before?
1: Well, people who are a lot smarter than I am will tell you with a high degree of confidence and you can hear it from enough people that you start to believe it, which is, you know, the pace of change is only accelerating and that the pace of change today is actually the slowest that it will be in the course of our, you know, for the rest of our lifetime. <clears throat> and then you look backwards and you can kind of cast your eye forwards and some of these, you know, technologies that are just coming to the fore and it's pretty easy to believe that. And so it's not a leaf to say, look, if that's what's happening at the technology level, it's really hard to believe that somehow I'm going to be immune to that wave of change. And so the short answer to your question is, yes, it's more urgent than it ever was. And you know, the half-life of any established business model is likely to be less than it you know, was not only 100 years ago, but 10 years ago.
0: Let's dig into market creating innovation and what that means, and and what it takes to get there. You're one of the the creators of the the Jobs to Be Done theory with the late Clay Christensen.
1: Jobs to be done is a little bit like uh, it reminds me of working with Procter and Gamble. It's like everybody at Procter and Gamble somehow worked on Swiffer. The number of people who claim paternity over Jobs to be done is not a small population, but <laughs> yes, I can. I think I can. Take some claim there, and and this just is just dating me. It was what sixteen years ago in two thousand five that Clay and I and, and and Scott Cook, a longtime collaborator and friend, who's the founder of the software firm Intuit, we we wrote the first um, Harvard Business Review article that articulated jobs to be done. Disruption, as Clay accurately described it, is a theory of competitive response. What we found is it's not the attributes of the offering or the characteristics of the individual that predict whether a person will buy a given product or hire a given service. What actually predicts it is the specific circumstance in which that individual, whether it's in a personal or professional context, what is the progress that an individual seeks to accomplish? in a given circumstance Mm -hmm. what is their current struggle and what's the experience they're trying to seek in other words what is the job to be done that they encounter in their personal and professional lives and it's that unit of analysis right a circumstance of struggle a circumstance in which an individual is trying to make progress either in their personal professional lives that is the, is the relevant unit of analysis when it comes to innovation work, mm-hmm. not the product attributes, not the characteristics of the person. And last thing I'll say in this is, is like that all is quite intuitive, but it's not how innovation journeys start in companies. We almost always start with some technology or some resume of product performance characteristics, or we see a market that we define based on the characteristics of the population associated with that market Mm -hmm. and and we use that as our north star yeah but that's not really the most useful unit to work with when we think about innovation i'll draw a little bit more specifics out of
0: you here but instead you want to focus on on that that energy for progress and dive into very very specific experiences that that people
1: are having the innovation starts with a person who's got energy for progress. And I can give you so many stories of so many different products and very pedestrian categories where the touchstone for an idea that seems so banal on the surface, but turned into multi-billion dollar businesses, started with a simple observation of doing something, of somebody doing something Mm -hmm. that we simply couldn't understand. The brand of Mountain Dew Kickstart, which is now a multi-billion dollar brand that is incremental to the Mountain Dew core business and to their rockstar energy business, really started positions squarely on that job. Of transitioning and helping people have successful mornings. Right. They innovated off that. They actually made a version for evenings as well. Yeah. But the point persists, and it, and it translates generally, which is most managers. Yeah. Ignore those anomalies. Number one, and number two is they don't even look for them. Yeah.
0: Usually, we're starting here. What's where's the large market opportunity? But here, it's almost let's actually drill into these anomalies and understand the why behind them and from this then identify potential opportunities for new products new offerings new services new innovations
1: when it comes to market creating innovation we use the wrong tools we look in the wrong place the wrong way right and and we actually need to look differently right marcel proust had this wonderful line that i'll mangle but it's the true voyage of discovery comes not from seeking new sites but learning to look with new eyes, and I swear that is the truth of most successful innovations. It's not about some, you know, otherworldly uh, adventure off into the hinterland. It's simply about training ourselves to look often at phenomena that we've seen a million times, right? But to look at those and to have the ability to see things that we've never seen before.
0: So, Teddy, what type of market-creating innovation have you seen happening in insurance or do you think is yet to happen uh, in the
1: insurance world? Even something that seems totally saturated, like, say, like life insurance. Right. You know, um, the percentage of, of of the population that doesn't have, you know, right. uh, life insurance. Uh, a good friend of mine started a company that was very, very successful in emerging markets When he realized, you know what, the people who are in most need of life insurance are the least likely to have it. What he realized was, well, you have to develop a business model that can be profitable giving the life insurance away. So how would you do that? Well, you know what? If you bundle the life insurance with prepaid cell phone cards, and so cell phone carriers who are competing against each other offer as a benefit, you know, uh, insurance or banks that are trying to attract customers if they can offer insurance essentially as a perk. And so he, he developed myriad ways to introduce quite profitably insurance products that I think he's serving something like 80 million customers who've never had any kind of insurance product before
0: but to your point today 40 percent of adults in the u.s don't have any sort of life insurance and basically what you're saying is these non-consumption areas are the perfect uh, starting place for market creating innovation what are the anomalies that we find in these people's lives that we can then draw inspiration from to then you know prototype new new ideas into existence basically
1: you said something key, prototype, right? Because you're not going to go out there and find the answers. I mean, even the notion that insights exist somewhere out there in the world, you know, it's, 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 that's not the right way to think about it. It's like the raw material is out there in the world for us to harvest and then co-create. It's those, it's, it's those weak signals of people doing things we don't expect, of exerting energy to make progress in ways that, you know, we, we hadn't anticipated. That's what you can get out there and harvest. And then you can get the kernel of an idea. And the yes, then you can start to develop that into you know a, a value proposition and a proof of concept and then an MVP. And it takes time. I'm sure there's a lot of people listening to us now that
0: are still pretty skeptical. And they think, yeah, that sounds great. But this won't quite work out for me or this won't quite work out for my company. And so what are kind of some of the lessons learned that you would
1: share to make sure that people set themselves for success? Most large organizations are full, brimming with great ideas. Mm-hmm. The, the challenge is, is that um, ideas go through a shaping process. So many ideas that might have the potential to be transformational and market creating get shaped into a sustaining or an innovation role. The most common cause of failure is that not by one fell swoop, but by a thousand little cuts, motivated by efficiency, what started as this green shoot on its own essentially gets co-opted and contorted to conform with the established processes and, and performance metrics. I think the other thing is is sometimes we say, "Hey, we're not good at this market creation. We're going to put this off in a, you know, in a lab, right, or some independent right." And the problem with that is 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 it just becomes like an executive playpen where little tiny things bloom and blossom, but they never achieve the scale. They can only be achieved by being either really. Uh, fully funded and capitalized as an independent business over a long period of time, or being brought into the core in such a way that either this new idea can be energized as an entirely new growth engine or can serve as a powerful accelerant for some sustaining innovation. Right. Uh, so, getting that balance right between you know, separation without you know, abandonment. <laughs> Right is an understandably incredibly difficult challenge that uh, managers of large businesses face.
0: Yeah, these are great points, Daddy, And that's definitely something we've been talking about a lot on this podcast, where uh, developing uh, and maintaining a discipline of innovation uh, really requires you to be deliberate about how you stand up these new ventures and, and scale them over time and requires you to adjust your management style, your management attention, your objectives and key results over time. That's certainly not an easy feat. Uh, well, Teddy, thank you very much for your time today. It was great talking about all these things with you. Maybe before we wrap, do you have a few final words of wisdom to share with
1: our audience? We live in worlds of lots of data. And in fact, the world we see is often a construct of the data that we consume. Data we need as innovators is rarely the data that just collects as the byproduct of our ongoing innovations. I, I mentioned Scott Cook. He was on the Amazon board. When it was just a, a, a fledgling startup. And, and Jeff Bezos was the CEO, of course, at the time. And, and, and they had a promise that they would make when you bought a product, product on Amazon that they would tell you when it was shipped. And Jeff said, nobody cares when the product's shipped. They just want to know when they're going to get, get their book, their CD, their, like, their movie. They, and, and Scott tells the story but like everyone at board is like, we, don't have, we have no control over that. We have no idea how that's going to get. And Jeff didn't care. He said, we've got to create that data. And Scott tells the story of the effort and the expense and the time that was invested to create the data they needed to be able to tell people when they would receive products, not when they were shipped. And I think as innovators, we often are trapped in the I don't want to say lazy excuse, but, but we we rely on the data we have as if it had perfect verisimilitude to the external reality. And the more that we hold on to those models with great humility, knowing how imperfect and how partial they are, the more. We create space for our curiosity and our explorer's mindset to go off and say, hey, you know, what else is out there? What are all the opportunities that don't just show up on these reams of reports and, and papers? Because the data to create the future hasn't been created yet. Well, that, was, that was pretty good.
0: That was not so bad. of <laughs> A word of wisdom. <laughs> <laughs> uh well, t- Taddy, uh that was that was really an honor and a privilege uh being able to talk to you today. That was really fun. That was Taddy Hall, uh who's a senior partner at Lippincott. I- I'll put a little plug for your book by the way which uh which uh, uh oh, which I had competing against Luck, uh which obviously you you co-wrote with uh, with uh Clay Christensen <laughs> and and a few others. Uh, very fun read actually. A lot of a lot of funny anecdotes that build on oh, a lot of stuff we you. discussed. But yeah, thanks thanks Taddy. That was Taddy Hall, senior partner at Lippincott, joining us today. For more information about the Reinventing Insurance series, make sure to visit oliverweiman.com slash reinventing insurance. Thanks for listening, and I will see you next time.